And I was like, how am I going to get these requirements out in a way that I understand them, my employee understands them and the, the customer as well? Welcome to the Amazing Apps Show for Microsoft business applications creators who want to make amazing, agile, Dynamics 365 and Power Platform applications that everyone will love. Welcome to Amazing Applications, episode 120. I'm Neil Benson from Customary. Thanks for downloading another episode. It's a cracker with Hamish Shield from App Rising in New Zealand. Hamish describes his five-step method called Solution Mapping Framework, in which he takes design thinking principles and applies them to the discovery phase of our projects to help us create that initial product backlog so that we are creating the maximum possible value by creating the right application that solves the most difficult problems in our customers' business processes. You can find links to Hamish's framework and lots more in the show notes at amazingapps.show120. Hamish recently participated in my Winning Agile Projects Masterclass, where I help Microsoft partners qualify, pitch, propose, estimate, and contract Agile Dynamics 365 and Power Platform projects. It's a five-week program with five to ten sales, pre-sales, or delivery consultants, and I'll be running more masterclasses for Asia, US, and European time zones later in the year. Find out more and apply at customary.com slash winning. Let's meet Hamish Shield and find out all about his solution mapping framework. Hamish, welcome to Amazing Applications. It's great to finally have you on the podcast. You're a guest. I've wanted to be on for such a long time. It's great to finally have you on the show. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for having me. It's, um, I mean, I've listened to the three of the podcasts, and so it's great to, to be on the show and, and uh, participate. I wonder if you could take a moment, just to introduce yourself for the Amazing Apps audience and let us know who you are, where you're from, and all about your, your history with business applications. Sure, thank you. Yeah, so my name is Hamish Shield. I'm based in Auckland, New Zealand, and I have a, a small uh, consultancy company called AppRising, and we specialize in, in the Power Platform, uh, mostly around helping organizations uh, build their own apps and, and automation on the Power Platform. So, you know, helping them with their strategy, the governance, you know, CEO toolkit, and uh, also, uh, I guess, design processes and how to, um, I guess, do that hard stuff up front in terms of designing an app before you go away and build it. So making sure you get the right licensing requirements and the, the right components um, all put together. Uh, yeah, and so in terms of, I guess, my personal life, um, uh, I've got two young kids. So I guess between that and work, everything's very, very busy. I uh, love to, to go kite surfing and um, when I get a Ooh. when I get a little bit of downtime, but that's not very often with I guess uh, two kids and a and a, and a full time job. Yeah, uh, just for our audience's benefit, let us know what you had for breakfast this morning. For breakfast uh, this morning, it was muesli with um, coconut yogurt because I'm dairy free, and and oh. some blueberries, which is yeah pretty standard for me, and some coffee Thank of course, you. always coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Nice and healthy. I, I really miss my muesli. I'm staying with my parents-in-law while my house is being restored. And I'm just on wheat bakes because it's so much oh. easier than mixing, my, making my own muesli in their house. So <laughs> yeah, I miss it. Uh, and tell us out of the, the portfolio, what's your favorite Microsoft application? Yeah, this is, this is a quite interesting question. Um, 
at the moment, I'm really into, I don't know if it's, if it's an application, but it's within Outlook and I use Outlook on the web um, and you can change it to a view called board view. And it's basic. It's it's incredible. So what you've got is a your calendar, and then you can stick other kind of widgets on there. So I've got a calendar. I've got my to do. I use Microsoft to do. So I've got my to do list. I've got my flagged emails that are flagged to come back to later. Um, I've got some time zones. You know, like we always we're working with the guys in um, you know I guess in Seattle and stuff, right? So remembering what PST yeah. is. I uh, got that up there. So it's a, and, and notes and all sorts of things. So it's a board where you've got these widgets you can drag around and it's kind of like my homepage for the day. It's pretty cool. Oh. So check that oh, out. Yeah. Check that out. Yeah. I have experimented with a new app recently called Motion and it's a productivity app that plugs into your calendar. And what it does, it finds the time in between meetings and takes your to do items, prioritizes those and puts them onto your calendar. Wow. And then if you'd ever need to shift a meeting, it'll reorganize your to-do items and based on the priority. And then it'll, some AI algorithms will run over your history to figure out how much you can really get done compared to how much you think you can get done and, you know, fill up your time with all those things on your backlog of, of tasks that don't necessarily have a scheduled time on them. It looks really cool. So I'll have to experiment with that and let you know how that goes. And hey, that's very cool. Yeah. Uh, so Outlook board, I'll have to check that out as well. Yeah, check it out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the calendar and then you just, at the top, we've got view. You can you view your different versions of calendars and then it's a, it's a board. I just found there it one go. day. I was playing around and it's pretty cool. Awesome. I, I was really fortunate to join one of your training sessions recently where you were introducing us to your solution mapping framework. And after that, I was just dying to have you onto the podcast because I thought what you were uh, teaching people and the framework that you put together uh, was really pretty innovative. You've borrowed techniques from a few different places. And I think um, there's a there's a few of us in the community, maybe you and me and Danny, who, who aren't just teaching people how to build applications from a technical point of view, but it's how we build applications as teams, uh, as collaborators. And you know, I love people at the leading edge of that, sharing their knowledge. And I thought that session was awesome. So uh, I've dragged you on here to maybe share that with our podcast audience as well. Can you tell us about your solution mapping framework? Yeah, thank you. So I guess it's just one of those things that just comes out of necessity, right? In terms of, you know, I had, I mean, I've, it's, and you say it's, it's a, something I've kind of bundled together over a, lots of learnings, um, I guess, across my career and, and some training I've done. And it is kind of a, a, bit, a bit based around uh, design thinking as well, a lot of elements of that. But essentially, um, couple of years ago, I started working with a client who had an old access database um, and they wanted to turn that into a power app, right, to modernize it. And it basically had been built probably 20 years. It had just been like wow. one guy, he was, he's about 80 now, so he's a bit of a risk factor, but had been building it for, uh, for 20 years and just adding on stuff as they went. And um, this client... Uh, basically got whatever they asked for, he just added on to the thing. So you can imagine that 20 years of just this guy tinkering with his access database was a complete mess. And so uh, I remember sitting in a, the phone call um, and uh, with, the, with the client and he was sharing the screen and showing me what the app does. And I was just freaking out in terms of like, how am I going to turn, <laughs> how am I going to take this monolithic app and put it into Power Apps, but not make it as clunky and as hard and difficult to use as it was in Access. Um, and so, and then also at the time I had a, um, a, an employee working with me as well, and we were going to do this together. And I was like, how am I going to get these requirements out in a way that I understand them, my employee understands them and the, the customer as well. Um, and 
it was just so overwhelming. There were so many requirements, right? So I had to have this way of drilling down into it and starting at a high level and, and easing my way into it. And so this was where this kind of solution mapping framework came from, where, um, yeah, I've got kind of, I guess, these step-by-steps uh, that I go through to, to, I guess, simplify the whole process of gathering requirements. Yeah, right. So you can't you can't just extract the schema and uh, and recreate it in Dataverse. That's not not going to cut it. <laughs> I th- yeah, I, I saw that. Um, they did release the you know the whatever the upgrade path recently, but but I don't think. I mean, it was such a mess. There's no way I would have upgraded like that. So we were, we started. Yeah, I think there's um, there's going to be a lot of excess databases. I like that they've got a long history, no great you know overarching design behind them. Yeah. Just having a, a method that extracts the table structure and imports it into Dataverse is not going to get you too far. Um, no, no, but especially yeah, especially when uh, people don't design it in the right. I mean, we had a, a full data remodel as part of it as well. It was just it was a nightmare. But yeah, so you, you've said that your um, solution mapping framework is suitable for complex projects or complex applications. How do you define complex? Is there a certain size? Is it the number of users? Is, is it the number of tables? What, what factors make up a complex project? Yeah, very good question. Um, and so I think complexity, for, for me, it's not really around, um, I mean, yes, a complex project is, you know, maybe a complex data model and heaps of tables and a lot of data and that does make it complex. But I think it more from like a, a person's perspective in terms of do and, and someone who's trying to design a solution, um, how familiar am I am with the, the customer's business processes and how complex are those and how to unpick those is kind of yeah how I would describe complex. And so I think you know when we, I did that training session uh, a while back, I talked about you know coming from a dynamics background when you're putting together you know dynamic sales or or customer service, you kind of know those processes right. And so I call that not complex at all because because personally I know them quite well but when you come into um you know a completely new business and a, and a new business process and you don't know what's going on I would consider that complex so it's kind of depending on the person themselves and your right. experience and your background as well I think yeah so yeah, when okay. I'm talking about using this framework for complex uh solutions it's it's I guess complexity in terms of trying to distill these uh requirements down to something that's understandable I wrapped up a $50 million project deploying Dynamics 365 customer service. I had about a hundred and something people on the project team. That was fairly complex. So I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's a point of view, right? How many processes are there? Uh, how many users and different sets of requirements are involved? And the amount of data and, you know, lots of things make it a complex yeah. project. Do you prefer those or do you prefer simple projects? Would you rather get in and out in a couple of weeks? Or do you love getting your teeth stuck into big, complicated applications? Yeah, I think I'm not a fan of like big monolithic kind of projects that go on forever. Um, this one here, um, it, it wasn't complex in terms of it's only got a handful of users, uh, not a lot of data, but in terms of like the business processes and the data model was extremely complex. And um, you know, for them, the, 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 you know, things on um, the key things were like, yeah, you know, very complex data model. We wanted to be able to um, visualize everything like data integrity was very important to them and so to have visibility of these data of data across multiple tables and joining all that together um, is kind of you know pretty fun and model driven apps right so we did a lot of embedded canvas apps so I quite like um, his, his short sharp engagements and, and we, we chunked this down into manageable chunks right so every couple of months we rolled out a new feature 
for them um, just to make that kind of monolithic you know, project a bit more yeah. manageable. So tell me about the steps in the solution mapping framework. From memory of that training session you ran, there was five or six steps. How do those flow? Yeah, so um, there's five steps. And so it basically kind of starts off with, I call it interview and, and observation. So it's kind of, if you go to the design thinking uh, way of doing things, this is kind of like you're, you're empathizing. So um, typically that involves, what I recommend is, you know, when you're gathering requirements, you can often sit in a room and, discuss them with your stakeholders or what I you know, prefer is you go out and you observe them doing their work on their site or them using their current access database application and how they use that. <laughs> and you, you'll find that you'll pick up way more. Um, you'll put, you'll pick up a lot more than you would when you just ask some questions. And, and if you ask someone to describe their process because they're so ingrained in it and they know it day to day, they're not going to tell you every single little step. But if you see them do it, you'll you'll pick up a lot more. So that's yeah. the first one. And the second one, um, I kind of start drawing down to more details. So it's uh, customer journey maps, which I'm you know, sure people will be familiar with. And then I kind of go from there to swim lane process diagrams. So going a bit deeper and then using um, those swim lane process diagrams to put together a product backlog and, and then user stories. And they all, those kind of five steps all kind of work together. I um, mean, you go from one to the other and you kind of gradually get lower and lower until you've got a backlog of user stories where your requirements are, right. which is the kind of the, the end goal, right? Is to have that, that backlog of requirements. Well, that's the starting point for, uh, for the, for the development teams to swoop in and, and start building features, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So this has its, it has its place in a project, right? It's kind yeah. of the, the start yeah. of it all. I, I love that idea. I haven't done it enough and that's getting out to where the users are working and seeing them in action in their day jobs and just doing that observation. I did get a chance a couple of years ago to visit um, for one of the superannuation investment firms here in uh, Australia, was to go just visit one of their contact centers. And I remember asking one of the call center representatives if a click to dial feature would be useful. You know, just here, there's a customer's phone number and you need to give them a call back, click on the number and that would pass it through to the phone and, and start to call the customer. She said, no, I don't think so. We just type it in. Second phone call she made, she got a wrong number. <laughs> Your example, if yeah. I recall, was you were visiting a construction site where they were pouring foundations or something. So that's a bit more exciting than visiting a contact center. Oh, it is, yeah, for sure. I, I quite like those ones where, I mean, I guess for, for me, I quite like those you know, power apps when you're making, say, a canvas app that's you know for a phone or whatever to be used out on site. Um, you know, if that was an engineering firm, then you know, I've, um, done things, uh, an app for an for a, um, avocado orchard. I've looked at apps for, you know, manufacturing. So someone in a, in a manufacturing site and they've got to scan different barcodes and stuff because they're mixing chemicals together. So those those are always really interesting to get out site and see how they actually do it. Um, and those sorts of ones you do pick up, I think, a lot more about how they do that and what their processes are and what they find annoying compared to if you sat in a, an office with them and just had a chat. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I'm scarred from my first experience. It's way back with Serum 3.0. We built a a mole clinic screening application. So they took a photograph of your skin and any suspicious looking moles, they would take a really high resolution bright light and try and determine whether it might be cancerous. And we built the application. And in UAT, the, the nurse that I showed the application to asked me to strip down to my underwear. <laughs> so that was a really good way to see the application in use. But yeah, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't had to do that since then. Uh, 
so after you're doing this uh, solution observations, you're making lots of notes, you're observing people in their, in their work, then you're building these journey maps. Can you describe a journey map? Because I sometimes see journey maps and they look a lot like a process diagram. W yep. What's the difference in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I think there's journey maps are pretty loose term, right? There's just, there's a lot of different flavors out there. Um, I think in terms of like a difference between that and a process diagram is that like a journey map probably has a more of that kind of human element to it. So the way I do um, journey maps, do you have you know, a process along the top of these are some you know, steps you need to go through and then you write this down or what are the actions, what is the person doing in these steps? And then you consider other kind of extra things around, I mean, that because that would be kind of what your um, business process diagram is, right? But then what you consider the, of the journey is what are the things they're interacting with? So they're interacting with some systems or other people or spreadsheet or whatever. Then right. you consider what are their pain points? So, so in, in this step of the process, when they're doing these actions, when they're interacting with these things, what is really painful for them? And then the last kind of um, row of a journey map is the opportunities. So based on those pain points, what are the opportunities we have to make their lives better with a, a power platform solution, right? And so that's kind of, that's, yeah, the difference between that and a, a business process diagram is a lot more to it. And you're thinking it from more from that kind of human element. And so those opportunities for making life better, would those then feed into a business case that would be your list of advantages or, you know, things that you're going to offer and that maybe have some kind of return on investment in them as well? That's right. Yeah. So uh, it typically is part of this, I guess what I showed in this training was we kind of did this as a workshop, right? And have people putting down their ideas on this, this journey map and ideas of what those opportunities are. Uh, and then part of that is kind of prioritizing those. So what's going to provide the most value to the business. And a lot of times those opportunities become like your features for your, your app going forward. Right. So this is kind of leading down into like our, our backlog. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And from there it's, then you have, you call them swim lane process models where I guess it's just a business process diagram, but you have you know clear illustration of who's doing what, how the system's responding to people's actions, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I, this, the, I guess the way that I do, and I guess business process diagrams again is another one where people have all different ways of doing it, right? But I like to have it very well defined between, like if you've got to have people as, you know, sometimes you have a process diagram, it's just systems listed and not the, the, the people involved. So I kind of list both in kind of two sections. One is people on the top and there may be multiple people involved and they all have their own roles and they all have their own swim lane. And then below there are the systems as well and they have a, a swim lane each. Typically I kind of map it out like that. Kind of hard to describe over a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, you have got a great blog article. We'll include a link to that in the show notes. So for those who are visually oriented, it's in there. What kind of level of detail do you go into? You know, a lot of business processes, there might be a decision that somebody needs to make, and it could be four or five outcomes, you know, different segments of customer or different sizes of, of application or something you need to evaluate. And are you going to illustrate all those different options on this business process flow, or are you just going to try and keep it at a relatively high level? What level of detail do you think is appropriate there? Yeah, I mean, this, this is such a hard question, and and I'm even you know talking with clients at the moment around you know, business process diagrams and how detailed do you get? I mean, once you've done it for a while, yeah, I guess you get a sense for it. I kind of start off with don't don't be too, you know don't be too detailed. I think just enough information because at the end of the day, what you want to do is to 
you know, I use these diagrams that I built as part of this um, process mapping is to uh, communicate back to the client or your stakeholders you know, what the solution is. And so it's a kind of communication tool, right? If you have too much detail, they're, they're going to glaze over and not pay right. attention. If there's not enough, they're not going to understand it. So it's such a hard balance. But I think it's the way I look at this is these diagrams aren't like you, you don't just draw the diagram once and then leave it. That's the design. It's you keep, you know, you reiterate on it and you keep changing and modifying it as you go. And even in through when you're building the apps, we'll always come back and, you know, re, pre-touch up those diagrams to kind of yeah. show, you know, current state or as, you know, as built. I was going to ask you, business process analysts quite often like to do that as is and to be different sets of process diagrams showing the current state and the future state. Do you think that's useful? I've always preferred a focus just on the future state. Yeah. This is where we're going to, unless you're the, an organization who's already made the investment in today's processes and mapping those out. I wouldn't do it just for the sake of redesigning the future and designing a new application around the future state processes. Have you found a lot of value in doing both? Yeah, so sometimes. I mean, I'm probably with you. I definitely be more focused on the future state. And I think this is where, in this kind of mapping process I've got, the, the journey map is, is really it's the higher level business process documented but I, that's kind of at current state so it's what are the current pain points and what are the opportunities to move forward right. and then when I do the business process diagrams it's always future focused but sometimes the current state does help if if your processes are really really complex and it's really hard to understand I think sometimes doing a, a current state does help kind of educate people into moving forward but typically I try avoid if, if, if you know you don't need yep. them. And so after the business processes have been laid out, customers agree that yes, that's that's how crazy our current world is. And it's always crazier than they thought it was, yep. <laughs> in my experience. Whenever they discover that they might have rework or waiting that's going on or approvals that need to get made, why things you know, always take longer than expected. So they they've learned all of that and you're then translating some of those requirements. You talked about the opportunities and pain points earlier. Now you're ready to start writing some user stories. So the same question applies. What level of detail is appropriate for a user story at this stage? Are you going kind of feature level? Are you going to split them down into smaller stories later? Or are you writing quite small, implementable stories straight off the bat? Yeah, so this is kind of where, this is what I guess why I call it the solution mapping process or framework, right? Because this is where I, and I was struggling a lot, and I see other people struggling with this as well, is how detailed do you go with your user stories in terms of writing them out? And so... What I've found is if you can kind of get the, the level of detail right for your business process diagram, then each kind of side, my rule of thumb is each step in your business process diagram is a user story. And then usually a business process will either be like a feature or an epic in your backlog. And so <laughs> this is my way of getting my head around, okay, here's my NTN business process. And then it's got 20 steps. I'm going to have 20 user stories and that may be one feature. And then I may have another business process for another feature. And it roughly works out like that. And I think just over the years, I think, you know, it, it seems to be about, I feel for me, it feels about right in terms right. of giving and having enough detail for the developers and then go ahead and, you know, and do their, yeah. their bit. I, I love those kind of things that you build up with experience that it's not a rule. You can't say there's 20 steps, there must be 20 user stories. It, life's not that simple, but it's a good heuristic to use. Once you've built up some experience, you've had a few opportunities to see this in practice, you go, well, yeah, okay. So 
there's 20 steps in a business process. There could be 10 to 30 user stories, that kind of range, but 20 user stories is probably a, a fair starting point. I've seen a lot of user stories where there's a nice description, there's a few acceptance criteria, but then there's pages and pages of test cases and scenarios and all sorts of things attached. And it becomes like a 10 page requirement yep. specification, which just gives me the shivers because those things are now hard to change and hard to update and hard to split and hard to combine and makes us a lot less agile than just keeping it you know, nice and short and sharp. Well, how much detail do you like to see in your user stories? Yeah, I'm not, I guess I'm not a user story expert, but for me, like it, I guess a couple of bugbears with user stories, right? And, and one is people who don't write it as a proper user story, you know, as the, you know, as a, I want so that. It just drives me crazy and the amount of time people live. Oh, really? Yeah. You're a stickler for that? <laughs> and the people who leave out the so that, you know, the reason why is a requirement. Just, yeah, that's, um, I don't know, a really big bugbear of mine. And then, yeah, and then not writing acceptance criteria. I think, you know, the key things are it doesn't have to be a lot of detail, but you just have a well-written user story and at least some sort of acceptance criteria, right? And, and I don't think we need to have heaps of documentation. And we link those user stories back to the process diagrams and that kind of really forms the bulk of the documentation that, that I do. Here's something that I've done to focus on that value part is instead of as a, I can so that, flip it around and go so that we can pour concrete foundations accurately every time I can follow a checklist. Ah, that's and then, cool. So that puts the value up front. And then I don't write the, the persona or the, whatever the, you know, as a user role, I use a tag for that because I quite often find there might be more than one type of user who would appreciate that feature. Yeah. And so I just look in the tags and go, oh, this is for a concrete four person and this is for a you know, site manager, whatever the, the user roles are. And there might be a couple. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm working with a client at the yeah. moment and going through this kind of user story process and um, there, yeah, sometimes they've got as, uh, and then about five different roles listed. That's right. And yeah, we have talked about using tags as well, just to make yep. it easier. Yeah. Good, yeah. good tip. What's next? You typically didn't just build a quick prototype and off you go, or are you doing estimation on the back of this? And where does this fit into a sales process where a potential customer might be evaluating you and other Microsoft partners? Yeah. Yeah. Good, all good questions. Um, so, I mean, typically this is kind of, yeah, I guess at that, you know, I guess if you're doing waterfall or, or I guess if you're waterfall, it's kind of at that requirements gathering stage. If it's, you know, agile, it's kind of to help form that backlog. So I think this is like good consulting work and quite good you know, strategic work, right? And so I'd, I'd expect to be paid for this sort of exercise, but then at the back of it, right, you would come up with some estimates. And so because you've kind of built up this backlog and you've got some user stories, you can estimate off you know, off that. I think, you know, just have, doing your course recently on the winning agile projects, you got some good tips in there around how to take you know, a backlog and and put some estimations together. So, um, I think this process there would kind of dovetail into into some of that if you're in at that stage of having to to estimate for your clients. I think it's great framework, Hamish. Um, you've got a great blog article on it to back it up. What's next? How can people find out more about it? Yeah, so definitely go to the, the blog article. I did, you know, as you know, ran a, I ran a couple of sessions, a live session, didn't record anything. I'm planning on recording once I get a little bit of time because it's something I want to I share with people, right? And I think people, some of the feedback I've got is they can read the blog, 
and they've come to that the one hour training session but still there's there's quite a lot in there and so um i quite like to kind of break it down and um, show people kind of step by step but um yeah people could go jump onto the blog and then they want to follow me on linkedin or whatever and um i'll hopefully announce some sort of recording at some stage great so i'll direct people towards that it's uprising.co.nz okay uh, good to be a link to the actual article in the show notes for anybody who wants to check that out. I just want to switch gear a moment. You mentioned right at the top of the show about centers of excellence. And I am complete novice when it comes to centers of excellence. I'm quite often the first power platform Dynamics 365 project team a customer has ever encountered. And they're planning lots more. So they're thinking about a center of excellence. But I've departed by the time that those kind of things are being considered. What is a center of excellence and how can customers go about creating one and what type of customers suit a center of excellence? Yeah, good question. So the way I define a center of excellence is, I guess, a, a group of of people and tools and processes to help manage your power platform. Doing quite a bit of work in this space at the moment because I guess we're around enabling people to, to build things in the power platform, but you've actually got to have a, a nice, stable, secure, manage, you know, manageable platform on, underneath and I think as we know if you know, if you let the power platform go unmanaged you can have you know apps sprawl and technical debt and, and stuff everywhere right and so a center of excellence is a, a lot around managing that and making sure you know things are compliant and safe and secure and that's kind of I guess, on the governance side and then on the is like I said, a nurture side to it as well so how do you educate your your makers who you know typically you know, people have makers in the business who aren't technical, don't have a technical background, um, and so they're not going to do things right all the time. And so you've got to help them, give them some guidelines, teach them what you know what is what are best practices, that sort of thing. So that's kind of what a center of excellence is about. And so I help, I guess, organisations kind of define what that kind of what that looks like. How do they resource it? Uh, and then there's obviously a, a bunch of tools in terms of the the Microsoft COE starter kit. Um, which is awesome, by the way. It's, there's just so much in there, but that also kind of gives me a job because it's, um, yeah, because it's so much to it. It's not a double-click install. Or... No, it's not. And I guess that comes to the, the, the part, like what sort of organisations is that for? I guess in terms of the, the toolkit, probably yeah, your larger organisations, right? There's quite a lot of maintenance to, to you know, it gets a new release every month, which is, you know, it's, it's awesome. So it's every month it's getting um, updates and bug fixes and everything, but that's quite a lot of maintenance in terms of, You've got to take the solution from GitHub and put it back into your environment and some regression testing and stuff. So there's quite a lot behind all of that. So it's usually those kind of large organizations have got, you know, hundreds of th- or thousands of users in multiple environments, that sort of thing. And you have to have a big community of citizen, I'm not sure I like this word, citizen developers building applications, or if you just had several IT groups or you know, professional developers in different business units, different departments, building applications. Is it useful even for professional developers as well to work in organizations that have a center of excellence? No, it's, it's very much, and I think uh, Microsoft are pushing that kind of fusion dev team, right, in terms of, you know, I, I call them citizen devs or makers or whatever, and then you be pro devs as well. So center of excellence is, is very much around bringing all those together. And so part of is defining how your center of excellence work because there's different models for a centralized sort of unit where you have your pro devs or a centralized team and they get kind of do work for the business units or sometimes you see where you have business units and they'll have a pro dev in each business unit and they help 
the people in those business units make their applications. So there's different models right. for that, and, and Microsoft's got quite a lot of that documentation um, around that and guidance as part of this their COE kind of offering. That sounds fascinating. I'd love to get into some of that. Sounds good. Um, is there anything else I should have asked you about that I haven't covered, Hamish? I don't think so. Yeah, I think you've you've done a uh, uh, yeah, great job at interviewing today. Um, <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Where can people find you? Have you got any community events coming up that you're presenting at and people can get in touch and, and sync up? Yeah, I help co-organize the Auckland user group. So this is the Dynamics 365 and Power Platform user group here in Auckland. So that we run that uh, once a month and that's on, on Meetup. I haven't actually got any other things planned uh, coming up, but um, if you want to reach out, uh, LinkedIn's always the best best channel for me. Um, yeah, usually pretty pretty active on there. Great. Okay, well, we'll make sure we include a link to your LinkedIn profile. Well, Hamish, thank you so much for joining us on Amazing Applications. We learned lots about your solution mapping framework, centers of excellence, and lots more besides. Really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks, Neil. Thanks yeah, so much for having me on and getting me to talk about my uh, process mapping framework. I'm looking forward to uh, sharing it with other people. So if people want to have a look, um, yeah, have a check it out on the blog. Great stuff. Thanks, Hamish. Excellent. All right. Thanks so much, Neil. Thanks so much for listening to the Amazing Apps podcast. You can join the show's mailing list at amazingapps.show. You'll get a personalized welcome video from yours truly and a notification when there's a new episode available. There are also shortcuts so you can follow the show on all major podcast players. And you can follow Amazing Apps Show on Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. You can send me a message or a voicemail if you'd like your question answered on a future episode and even support the show through Buy Me A Coffee or by buying an Amazing Apps t-shirt. Visit amazingapps.show. Thanks again for listening. I really appreciate you. Until next time, take care and keep sprinting.